Hey guys, before we get into the show, I just want to give a huge shout out to our sponsors, Design Crowd. Uh, Design Crowd is a website that helps entrepreneurs, startups, and small businesses outsource or crowdsource design. You can have custom logos, business cards, websites designed from designers all around the world. Design Crowd has over 600,000 designers from Sydney to San Francisco ready to help you with your awesome creative ideas. Get the perfect custom design every time. It's super easy to use as well. All you have to do is post a brief describing the design you need. Design Crowd will then invite its 600,000 designers to submit ideas. And over the course of three to 10 days, a typical project will receive 60 to 100 different designs from designers around the world. All you have to do is pick the design and then approve payment. To get your custom design done by the crowd, check out designcrowd.com forward slash HMD to learn more and receive your special startup hand-me-downs VIP offer when you start your next project. All our listeners get a special $100 off their first project, so check out designcrowd.com forward slash HMD. That's designcrowd.com forward slash HMD. Or simply enter your discount code HMD when you start your next project. For me, the side hustle is much more true to the human condition. And if you embrace that human condition, then I think much more is possible. So at, at Sony Labs, we, we acknowledge the fact that people have, have lived whole lives and they have many different interests. Yeah. Um, and sometimes people come across that have side hustles that outweigh what they want to do at Sylvain Labs and, and we nurture that and encourage that. Hey guys, welcome to Startup Hand-Me-Downs, the podcast that passes insights from founders and thought leaders down to the next generation. I'm your host, Philip Kusumu, and thank you so much for giving me the next 30 minutes of your time. I promise it'll be worth it. So today I had the pleasure of interviewing Elaine Sylvain, who is the founder and CEO of Sylvain Labs, an innovation and brand design consultancy. The company serves as a strategic planning resource for product developers and marketers. They literally work with some of the biggest names and have clients such as Google, Airbnb, Spotify, General Motors, Facebook, amongst many others. Elaine is co-founder and investor of several ventures, including Master Dynamic, a design-driven premium audio brand. On this show, we unpack what it takes to get branding right, and it gives us a brief insight into the creative process of getting a brand right without giving too much away. Okay, let's jump into the action. So, thank you so much for coming on the show. Yeah, you're welcome. I'm excited to do this. So, when you're at an event, how do you introduce yourself to people? <laughs> yeah, what a good question. <laughs> Um, my name is uh, Alain Sylvain. That's how I would say it on stage or something like that. It's a French name. My parents are from Haiti. Yeah. Uh, but interestingly, we talk about the company as Sylvain Labs. And uh, I'm the founder and CEO of Sylvain Labs, which is a strategy and innovation consulting company. Um, we help companies develop new product ideas and develop new approaches to their brands and how their brands should come to life. Um, so we don't necessarily do design, but we do a lot of the insight and strategy work that goes into some of those more creative 
executional things. Nice, nice and concise intro. I like it. Yeah, I um, so before we get into what you're doing now at Sylvain Labs, what did you do in the early days? What got you to this point? Um, it's a good question. I uh, I spent a bunch of time in the kind of creative agency worlds, yeah. working for advertising agencies and creative communications companies. And I was I was a strategy person working in a creative environment, and I loved it. I loved. I knew that a creative space is where I belonged. Um, but somehow I felt that strategy wasn't enough at the center of what those companies were, were producing and making. And I ended up um, working at a, a strategy consulting company and learned a lot about what, what that world is like and very quickly decided that I could do this too. And so what I've tried to do is, um, over the, we've been around for seven and a half years, what I've tried to do is create a, a company that's part management consulting, strategy consulting and parts creative agency. Um, so we've got sort of the carelessness and ridiculousness of a creative place yeah. um, and a culture of a creative agency along with the, the rigor and the strategy and the discipline of a strategy company. That's, that's kind of what makes our place special, I think. Mm. Um, um, your time at Red Scout, that's was right. that where you kind of decided that, yes, I want to be in branding, this is my thing? Well, on the, on the creative agency side, I, I did work in branding right. yeah, and the idea of brand. So I, I, I've been working on it and in it for over 10, 15 years or whatever it yeah. was. But um, at Red Scout, it was more of an innovation-oriented place. So I learned more about this idea of innovation, right. um, which of course is a cliched idea. But, but the idea that every product can evolve and kind of become something new, mm -hmm. that's where I learned much more about innovation. Um, but mostly I learned that I wanted to work for myself. Mm. Um, you know, it had nothing to do with the, sort of what I was doing. It was, I really felt there was a place in the world for this kind of creatively driven strategy thing. Um, and so I used my time at Red Scout to learn how to do that and yeah. then did my own thing. And then you kind of set out to start up Survey Labs. So yeah. how did you start? Yeah, what, yeah, how did I start? What a nightmare. <laughs> that was, it was a while ago dark times. <laughs> um, how did I start? So I... It's a we're a professional services business, so we're not a technology business. So it, clients are big companies, and they're very important. And I identified one or two um, that were willing to work with me, and, and that was great. And that those early clients were basically helped capitalize the company, so mm. I didn't have to put any money in or anything like that. Nice. And then um, I needed help on operations when it comes to things like legal and HR and finance, and my dad had done that his whole career mm. um, and so he agreed to help uh, in, in, in those early days pro bono oh. uh, are you kidding me <laughs> no <laughs> not at all um, so he he joined I mean he's not in the office um, every day but is sort of a, the silent rock that keeps this company afloat nice and then I hired two dudes who were straight out of grad school uh, or just fresh out of grad school Ben and Joey who are still with me um and they were this kind of creative duo who were down to do anything and really cool, mm -hmm. got along with them personally. And so the four of us were the early days. And so with the clients, I got office space, got computers, got a logo, and we just kind of went off. It. And yeah. one of the cool things was that the way I got those clients is the clients offered me a job. That's how it worked. You know, uh, I, okay. I, I kind of got in the mix because um, I was interviewing for a job. It was, it was actually AOL was my first big client and they were looking for someone to head up marketing and I got caught up in that search and they wanted to offer me a job and I said well instead of a job could would you be willing to be our first flagship client you know I've always wanted to do something entrepreneurial 
and, and they agreed. Wow. Um, so it was a, I found that the job interview is a great way to get a client. Yeah, that sounds amazing. I've, yeah. I never really thought of that. So at this time you had quit your job initially yeah. and then you were like, I'm just going to go out and do this thing on my own. Right. But you were interviewing, you took the approach of an interview to get clients. No, I, I was interviewing while I had the job. Um, right. Which of course is a taboo and you shouldn't, you know, there's like an ethical <laughs> question there, but, yeah. but, um, but yeah, like everybody else, um, I had a side hustle and, and I was working on Sylvain Labs um, and I've been working on Sylvain Labs for years before I actually did it. Um, and, you know, it, it wasn't until the, there was like a perfect storm of like the help I had, the client and the space and everything mm. that I actually did it. Not to say that I did it with any sense of security because I didn't have a sense of security. Right. And I don't know if I have any now, but, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, everything so, had to let up. So how were you pitching in the early days? What was the pitch? Yeah, I mean... I'll answer it this way. You know, over the years, I've tried a lot of different ways to pitch companies. Yeah. And I've looked at a lot of different sources and ways to persuade companies. But I found that the only way to pitch that works is when you pitch someone that knows you or knows someone that knows you um, and you're speaking their language and playing back their concerns mm. in a way that feels very intuitive for them. That's what's worked for me. You know, there are a lot of our competitors, they have their pitch is about a process, like a, a toolbox that they basically shop around from company to company yeah. to company. Yeah. Um, and they replicate the same thing over and over again. And it's great. You know, some companies have, you know, 90 day processes or hundred day processes or a, a, you know, a strict way of doing things. We are far more adaptive. So the pitch has always been about what are you feeling and needing and how can we fit within that? Mm. Um, so, so the pitch is more of a question. Always. Okay, yeah. Good. Um, yeah, and our job is to adapt to the to the question slash answer and the dynamics that the client's kind of dealing with. Nice. So you start off with a huge client, and since yeah. then, I guess you've always worked with big clients like Google, Spotify. Right. How are you landing these huge clients? <laughs> yeah. Being such a you know a little guy, I guess. In the it sounds. Of- it sounds. I mean, the greatest thing about our client list is that it gets people really impressed right so we we have samsung and anheuser-busch and pepsico and google general motors but the reason for that has more to do with the nature of innovation consulting the innovation consulting market call it um is only the only players are big companies there Mm. are no small companies or medium-sized companies that are spending money on innovation so anyone who's doing innovation consulting is an impressive client interesting so that's number one and number two we the way we get the clients is through, like, as I said, largely through personal relationships. So a lot of ex-clients, we actually have a hundred percent client retention. So every wow. client we've ever had has come back and asked us for a second project. Um, and clients move, and that whole dynamic is really where our clients come from. Um, you know, we have one client who was a CMO at PepsiCo, and we worked for him there for a long time. He ended up becoming the Pep CMO at BuzzFeed, and we worked for him there. Wow. And then he just recently became the CMO at BlackRock, and we're working for him there. Oh, that's great. So, I think that for me, the lesson there is about people and less about companies. Mm. And the, the real representative client list would probably be people's names as opposed to the companies. Um, Doing differently? Yeah, I don't really know. You know, I, I don't think about that question enough. 
um, I'm just more focused on the solution and the problem that we're faced and we're, we're highly committed to the challenges our clients deal with and maybe because we are adaptive um, clients come back um, yeah I mean I, I don't I don't know I think I think clients when they when they are faced with a tool like a, a box solution it's mm-hmm. harder for them to to come back over and over and over again because they need that same exact problem to happen ag- yeah. again. When you're more of an adaptive consultant, you can fit in more scenarios. And so we we work on a lot of different sort of products for our clients. Uh, One of which I noticed was Google's voice assistant app. Yeah. Like that's an insane project. How did you guys get a hold of that and how did you help with that product? Yeah, the, re- the way we got that one is um, we, we had been working with Google for a number of years and we actually ended up hiring someone who was working at Google as our head of business development nice. and uh, his name is Stefan and he's he helped us get more relationships within Google um, but this one project was a couple of years ago and it was re- and we all knew and know that the voice was was a new sort of interface with technology and that's yeah. that's beginning to happen with voice, voice protocol voice protocols you know Alexa Google home yeah uh, the Apple HomePod and so on we know that voice is is, is increasingly an important way to interact with technology. But what we don't know is what's the role of these voice assistants? You know, how, how should they communicate to us? What should they say? How should they say it? Um, what, what are our expectations? How do we value that? Mm-hmm. So that was, our, that was the project yeah, so to help give the Google Assistant some more direction. Nice. And was it, how long did that project last? That project last? Um, it, was a, it was a couple months, like a lot of our projects. You know, what's great about this one is that the clients do most of the work. You know, they, they, it's, and we worked with a, a creative group within, within Google, nice. um, you know, engineers and creatives, yeah. they had vision for it. And so we, our job was really secondary to the core clients who are responsible for that, mm-hmm. that, uh, that product. Um, but yeah, our projects are usually a couple months. And they're usually global, and they involve some sort of research, um, and they're dynamic, interesting sprints, really. Yeah, without getting into too much detail. <laughs> yeah, it's just a challenge when we talk about innovation. Yeah. It's like, how do we talk about it without... No, no, no. Getting... So I want to talk a bit more about branding now. Yeah. So from a startup perspective, um, startups tend to think, okay, there's this problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to solve it. I have this solution. And then it's going to do this, this, and this. Mm-hmm. And then branding kind of comes after the fact. Mm-hmm. So in your opinion, when do you think startups should start thinking about branding for their product? Well, I, th- I think products and brands are inherently the same. So as you think about the product, I think the brand should be in mind as well. And mm-hmm. when I think of the brand, I, I'm not thinking of a clever name or a kitschy logo. Yeah. To me, the brand is really the ideas that you want people to feel when they see or, or interact with your brand, right. and that sort of um, and that sort of idea should be embedded in, in the product experience. So, if you're working on a on a fitness app, you know the, what you should also be thinking about what you want people to feel as they interact with your fitness app, and that could be things like achievement mm. or empowerment or knowledge. Maybe it's about education, you know, yeah. enlightenment. Um, and th- and that to me is really what a brand is. A lot of people think branding is more like the like really cool logo, the logo or, yeah. or the interesting design or a, a line, a written line. But the brand is much bigger than all that. They're, they're really deep ideas that people should feel um, 
regardless of whether you, you actually tell them what it is, you know? Yeah. So what actually makes a good brand? Yeah, I mean, for me, the, the, the core of a good brand is an insight. So is an idea about what people want and need, some sort of tension or desire. Mm. Um, so um, a good example for Nike, which is a famous brand that people talk about in this context, the insight is around achievement, um, is around being the best version of myself, um, or something about being like a professional athlete, yeah. um, just do it, and so on. That insight, once you have the, the core insight, what do people really want? What is that need? What is that tension? You, you can then develop a brand that solves it, that, that kind of resolves that tension. And every great brand has that. The brands that are not great are the ones that don't, aren't built on an insight. Mm. Um, and in addition to an insight, what are some of the other components that constitute for a good brand? Well, I think, I think there's an insight and I think there's definitely a bit of, um, you know, uh, creative, uh, call it a creative whimsy or creative spark um, that really helps translate that tension to something that resonates with people in a language that really resonates with people. Um, so, and I can think of a few examples of some, some great brands that kind of add a little bit of a little twist that really help you get yeah. what that thing is about there's a there's a men's grooming brand called Harry's yes um, right so Harry's to me is a, and they just recently became a client but they're an example of a great brand a really well branded brand I should yeah. say um, so forget about the business forget about the products for, for a second but, but as a brand there's something about it and the way it communicates that really gets men to really understand what they're about and the role that Harry's plays in their life, the values, the ideals, something about the design, mm. the name Harry's, you know, it's, it's very it's simple, relatable. very simple. It's a, a person's name is actually a very trendy branding technique today. Yeah. So you got Harry's, you have Casper, Oscar, yeah. Warby Parker, Alexa, um, Alfred, Alexa, Lyle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Lyle. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. There's something about proper names that, you you overcome sort of the trap the trust barrier and you can actually communicate a lot so so i think harry's has that you know the word harry sounds like harry <laughs> you know it has a lot of yeah a lot that was working for it oh i never thought about that yeah well a lot of these things are kind of embedded i'll give you an example of a horrible brand yeah and i, I i'm not ashamed to say it. i saw a commercial for a pharmaceutical a uh, drug called viviscal oh yeah and it's a it's a it's a hair rejuvenation drug for women, I think. And Viviscal, you know, Scal is supposed to speak to Scalp by that, and yeah. Viva speaks to life, and it's just a horrible name. Yeah, it's horrible. It doesn't even, yeah, I've seen the adverts actually on the yeah. subway. Yeah. Pharmaceuticals have horrible names. Yeah. <laughs> so so you, ha you ask about, like, what are the ingredients? I think, I think the inside is the, far more the most important. And then there's a creative sort of bit of it that includes naming, it includes design, it includes you know, visual language, it's a bigger yeah. world. I wanted to actually ask you about that. So what are some of the steps, I guess, like startups should take when creating, you know, a brand around their product? Yeah, that's so a good like question. What start, no, no, branding 101, like what do we do? Yeah. Well, it's, I should start by saying it's hard to even say that because, you know, this is a service that we provide and we, yeah. we, we charge a lot of money for it. Yeah. We, it's a question that we face more and more. A lot of entrepreneurs want to do this, and there are a lot of like branding sprints and design sprints. Yeah. There's a book written by um, Simon Sinek, 
I think is how you pronounce his name. Yeah, Simon Sinek. Yeah, where he does the the why, the how, and the what. Um, understand your why. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Understand your why. So that, that to me is a good first step for an, an entrepreneur just mm-hmm. thinking about a brand because those are the questions to ask um, really early on. Um, but to me, as you, if I was to think about it, and if I had a, a, a startup that I was working on today, the first thing I would think about is what is that insight? Um, what is the need? What are ways that I can solve for that need? Um, and there could be a, a number of ways. When it comes to names, there could be a number of ways. It could be a personified name. It could be more of an evocative name. It mm-hmm. could be, you know, if it's a financial thing, maybe you want to add something like advisors or, or you know, group or mm. something a qualifier to that name so there are a lot of names to solve that insight from a visual point of view i would i would i would also look at you know the competitive landscape um there's a lot of entrepreneurs are very good about comparing themselves to similar products and businesses yeah. but they're not very good at comparing themselves to similar brands mm. and so a brand driven competitive landscape is imperative um, so if you see in your category that a lot of brands are one syllable um, and the words don't actually mean anything. They're more evocative ideas. Um, that means there's a white space for a brand that's far more descriptive and tangible. Yeah. That, and I think that's what you aspire to when you develop these brands, look for something that's unique. Um, so that's a kind of a rambly question, but for me, from a rambly answer, for me, it's a, it starts with the inside, look at the competitors, and think about the different ways you can solve that from a brand perspective. And the brand, as I said, the brand includes the name, the design, um, the ideas that you want to stand for. You know, I've, I've worked in uh, for financial brands in the past, yeah. and I've no, for many different companies, and and they all have a list of values, and their values tend to be the same, yeah. no matter what company you're in. It's Integrity, like, exactly. Trust, <laughs> trust, yeah, and, you know, whatever. Um, and I think. The goal for an early entrepreneur is to get out of that trap mm. and not play back some of these generic ideas that that everyone kind of has down. Yeah. Um, but how do you do that? You know, because then I guess sometimes it's a case of like FOMO or right. like ticking the boxes. You know, oh, we gotta have this, we gotta have that. They have this, they yeah. have that. Well, they, I think I think you could you could have some of that, but you should add to it um, you know, something that's really unique with a, with a real story. Yeah. And, and look at what you have that's different from other people, which could be credibility. It could be, um, you know, where you're located. It could be your approach. It could be something proprietary. Um, I'll give you an example. I was talking to a friend who was doing something, again, in a finance space, which is why it's top of mind. Yeah. And there, there's a convention, a naming convention in this, in this space where he's trying to start a business. It's an absolute naming convention. It's something research group, something research group. And, he, and that's the, those are sort of the names that he's thinking about. It's yeah. like blank research group. And, but yet when he talked about the company, he didn't talk about research. He was talking about integrity and the humility in, in the finance space. You don't really see a lot of that. Um, the, the fact that they're approachable and cool guys and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And to me, that's where the name should be based on. And so I think there are assets that brands have that they don't leverage enough when it comes to branding, and, and sometimes they're not so obvious. Mm. Sometimes they're kind of in, you know, secondary to what people think is important. It's yeah. interesting. So I just want to switch gears now and talk a little bit more about you know the startup land and like round up the startup space. So I read something recently where you spoke about the side hustle. We actually spoke about this earlier as well. Yeah. Uh, why do you think it's so important that everyone has a side hustle? 
I don't know if, I mean, I definitely think it's important that everyone has a side hustle, but more than that, everyone has a side hustle. I mean, it's, just, it's just kind of a thing. It's just a thing. It's just a thing. Everyone has yeah. a side hustle. I think it's, it's misleading when big companies kind of suggest that people work at one place and that's it. You know, mm-hmm. We all are working on many different things at the same time. Yeah. Um, it, and not so obviously sometimes. Um, but for me, it's just human nature to have multiple interests. And a job is one thing. Um, but people love to work. I mean, I always say this is like, uh, I hate jobs. I love working. Mm. And so people work out beyond the work hours. People work during the work hours on other things on their side. And sometimes they're startups, but other times they could be poetry or they could be um, arts or they could be, you know, a, a variety of other things that people have. And so for me, the side hustle is much more true to the human condition and if you embrace that human condition, then I think much more is possible. So at Sylvain Labs, we, we acknowledge the fact that people have live whole lives and they have many different interests. Yeah. Um, and sometimes people come across that have side hustles that outweigh what they want to do at Sylvain Labs and, and we nurture that and encourage that. You know, we had a guy here who was a competitor on The Voice, you know, the television show. Yeah, 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 I remember. He was on uh, Pharrell's team and he wanted to make music. I mean, it was obvious he wanted to make music. And after a year or two of working here, that the role of music kind of increased even more. And we actually helped him do that. I mean, we produced his music video. And, oh, wow. And that side hustle, it, it's funny. I would say his day job was his side hustle. Mm. You know what I mean? Um, so was, we try to acknowledge that. And then as a company, we have our own side hustles. And I, I think that... Every company should have a side hustle. Yeah. Should should really be thinking about how it can grow in opposite or you know unobvious directions. So speaking of company side hustles, you guys actually had a side hustle that became a product that yeah. was uh, Masters and Dynamics. That's right. right. Yeah. So how did that actually come about? Yeah, it's a good question. We we got approached by Jonathan Levine, who's the the founder and CEO of uh, Master and Dynamic, and he didn't even have a name yet. He didn't really even know where it sat in the competitive landscape and. We, um, we got to know more about it and felt that there was a real window there in the category, that there was a level above beats, uh, that there was a white space there. And so we, we, and he agreed to give us equity in the business. So um, we ended up getting equity in Master Dynamic and we worked on it and we still work on it every now and then. Um, and, we, and we really kind of clicked with the founder and the CEO, yeah. Jonathan. Um, who's in you know this intense super entrepreneur who had done it before, and uh, right now it's in the Apple Store. Um, it's it is you know design driven sound tools like mm-hmm. high high design um, and really popular among audiophiles. So it's incredibly rewarding to yeah. have a product, a side hustle that became a product. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, and it's not the only one. We have uh, we have a couple others. We have uh, Lilo, which is a Line, uh, acai bowl, so it's a, sh- a refrigerator shelf stable acai bowl, which a lot of people think is the future of breakfast and it's mm-hmm. going to go the way of yo- uh, Greek yogurt. Mm-hmm. Um, and we also have Pet Mio, which is a, uh, it's like a smart pet food, um, pet health nutrition company, basically. It's, and it's out of South Florida and it's just launching uh, now. So for us, as we think about scale, which I, you know, People like you and other entrepreneurs think a lot about scale. When they, when it's a technology, it's very easy to think about that because yeah. you can replicate the technology over a number of sure. devices. Mm-hmm. 
in as a consulting business where our hours are really what we sell, it's hard to think about sell yeah. scale because you can't hire enough people to get to the scale you want. Right. So to do these sort of uh, these equity projects um, or side hustles, it, it's our way of, of kind of scaling. Let's take a quick break. If you're stuck for ideas around how to develop your logo, website design, or business cards, Design Crowd can give you access to 600,000 creative minds from around the world. Once you've launched your brief, designers will begin submitting quality designs for you to review. With some constructive feedback, you can quickly generate a large gallery of designs that really do fit your needs. Rather than paying expensive fees and waiting weeks for agencies to pitch an idea, you can have exactly what you need within three days. Once you've selected your favorite idea, you'll be sent all the files you need to update your branding. If you don't like any of the submitted designs, then Design Cloud offers a money back guarantee. To get your custom design done by the crowd, check out designcrowd.com forward slash HMD to learn more and receive your startup hand-me-downs VIP offer when you start your next project. All our listeners get a special $100 off their first project, so check out designcrowd.com forward slash HMD. That's designcrowd.com forward slash HMD. Or simply enter the discount code HMD when you're posting a project on DesignCrowd. Okay, let's get back into the show. Yeah. And what's the vision for Masters and Dynamics? Like, how big is it right now? Um, I don't know how big it is in terms of revenue right now, or I'm probably not even allowed to talk about it. But it, but it's right now um, quite big. So it's it's a it's one of the leaders in this kind of high design um, sound tool space. And you know the, the category is very interesting. You know the fact that Apple acquired Beats yeah. says something very mm-hmm. interesting yeah. about what the potential of master dynamic could be. Um, and the and the industry, this, the music industry is going through such change that you know a number of partners or things are possible for that brand yeah you know and how do you kind of manage your time and everyone else's time because like side hustles the reason why most organizations frown upon it is because it just takes too much of your attention so how do you manage that yeah it's funny i get asked that question a lot there's, there's like a there's a real sense of like well how do you do that like how does that fit in what you do and and like i said i mean people are doing side projects anyway on the side and mm-hmm. when there are hours it's even better um, and it actually keeps people really inspired and curious and excited to be around here and a yeah. place that welcomes kind of foreign ideas um, but the way we manage on a day to day because our time is is sort of our only value like our yeah. cost that's your commodity yeah. yeah so we we are very kind of scientific about how we assign projects and how, how much time people should spend on a project so um, we're just careful to make sure that that side hustle time doesn't get in the way of the consulting time. Other companies have kind of formula around it, like 80-20 or all these, you know. Yeah. We, we are not that specific about it because I actually think that's not realistic enough. Mm. Um, we have some projects where people will spend two weeks on a side hustle, a, a non-billable client, um, and other projects where people won't touch a side hustle for a long time um, but over, overall I, I don't mean to I don't mean to um, mislead you either because I think 
it's not as though half of our time is on our side hustles. It's, it's a minority of our time. You know, we yeah. are a consulting business. That's how we make money. Yeah. Yeah. And in addition to these projects, another one of your side hustles is angel investing, I guess. Yeah. yeah. So I guess when it comes to angel investing, what do you look for in an entrepreneur? Yeah, it's a really good question. You know, I, I am, um, I don't know if this makes me a typical angel investor or an atypical angel investor in that I am new to it and I really rely more on human relationships and what I can tell from another human being and what they've done before. Right. So I, I rarely measure a business or product purely on the merits of the business or product. It's, yeah. it's more than anything. It's the person on the other mm -hmm. side of the table and what they've done and whether they can be trusted and, and, and whether you want to be in bed with them. Um, so that to me is, is paramount. And, and usually, um, I, I only entertain these kind of conversations when it's a, a person I know or a person that I know via someone else. Yeah. And, um, so I hate to say it, but the, the idea of networking and being kind of out there is critical when, if you're looking for angel funding, obviously, um, for me, it's, it's everything. Can you think yeah. of someone you recently invested in and how that came about? Well, Pet Mio is a good example. Um, and that's, that wasn't a pure investment, although we're, we're talking about it. Um, it's, uh, I'm an advisor. Yeah. And, and the way that that, and I have equity in it, and the way that, the way that worked was, um, Pedro, the CEO, was a, uh, was a client of ours mm. many years ago at, when he was working somewhere else. And we always liked him and felt that there was, there was a kindred spirit. And he, he was smart in that he kept, kept in touch with me as he was working on this really early on. And he worked on Pet Neo, which is the smart pet health company where it's through a combination of AI and nutrition, they kind of optimize your pet's you know, health yeah, regimen. And, um, and he always kept in touch with me. And you know, every time I would talk about AI in the press or something like that, or this Joey at, at the company would talk about AI, he would, he would get back in touch and he would kind of keep that relationship warm. And then when the time came where he needed to bolster um, uh, his board and, and thinking and advisors, he, he contacted us and um, I knew his track record and I, and I was really impressed with his team and some of his other advisors and their strategy and their path and they were hustlers and um, you know, that's one thing I really look for in, in entrepreneurs or yeah. hustle yeah. Um, and you can see that, you can smell that a mile away and that's what made it right. Nice. So you took a board seat, an advisory board. Yeah. Nice. Right. Cool. And then um, I guess, how do you... Okay, so yeah. some rapid fire questions now. Okay. Yeah. So in terms of favorite book, what are some of your favorite books or what is your favorite book? Wow. What a good question. Um, I, don't, I don't read enough uh, like I used to. I prefer nonfiction books. Um, if I want to get wonky about it, I really enjoyed The Black Swan um, which was like an e economics book. Yeah. Um, I mean, they don't have your favorite book. People always do this when they come on yeah. the show. It doesn't have to be a business book. It can be anything. Well, like, that's the weird thing. I, I don't really read fiction. Um, you know, when Quiet came out, I enjoyed that a lot. You know, I've, I've been up on um, uh, Malcolm Gladwell's podcasts, which aren't books, but mm. those podcasts are amazing. Okay. Um, Sorry, you asked for rapid fire. I'm not giving you one. Uh, I, read, I read Miles Davis's autobiography, which was dope. Oh, that yeah? was fantastic. Yeah, really interesting. He was a crazy person. Um, 
as are so many geniuses. Yeah, of course. Uh, biggest business mistake? Oh man, whoa, that's a good question. Um, <laughs> I took the wrong job. Um, so so I, I have business mistakes at Sylvain Labs, so things that we've done that weren't necessarily smart. That has happened. You know, we, right. We've invested in companies that have failed and yeah. that sort of thing. But the, I'd say that by far the worst business decision I ever made was taking the wrong job, you know, a job with the wrong people and a place that didn't allow me to grow and limited what my potential was. Um, so I, I think it's important to think about business beyond the company, <laughs> you know, and thinking about business decisions. And I think yeah. taking the job, wrong job was the one for me. How long did I take to figure out? Holy shit. It took, it took like two weeks. Okay. Tops. It <laughs> took a good. really long, really short time. I mean, what I did is I tried to pivot and make that a learning experience. Um, uh, and it was. So I tried to make the most of it, but it was, it was not a good decision. Yeah. What company do you wish you invested in? Yeah, what a good question. I think, um, I mean, beyond the obvious companies that are yeah. overvalued and so on. Yeah. Um, I, I, and I am, I'm an investor in Tesla, but that company to me is a sort of reincarnation of true visionary corporation. Mm. So a company that had a vision for society and where we're going and potential in a way that you don't see in, in companies enough. The, the, the I believe that that company are profound, you know, the idea of sustainable energy. Um, and a lot of people think about Apple in the same way, but I don't, I don't think even Apple had such a profound view of the human condition and where we can go. You know, Tesla's thinking about the, the health of the globe and they're thinking about through SpaceX, Elon Musk is thinking about the universe, you know? So, so to me, these, these higher order businesses are the ones that I really want to be a part of. Yeah. They feel really exciting, especially one with Tesla that's that's doing well, you know, knock on wood. Right now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, what's the one piece of advice you would give to startups? Well, I, I'd say a couple things. One is it always gets better. Um, it's not always bad. You know, there've been, when I first started, there were many times where I thought it was the end of the world and it always got better. And, and so the idea is if I keep hustling and I do my best, you know, you'll turn the corner. I think, um, meeting people and being out there is critical and a lot of people obviously do that and know that in my case i spent every single breakfast lunch and dinner and drinks over a couple of months out meeting people mm. some of them were really worthless and some of them were amazing yeah. moments of uh, serendipity where I, I learned something or i developed a relationship to, and th that first six months of my company where i was out all the time those are where I built the relationships I have now, yeah. with, without a doubt. And I don't do that anymore, thank God. Uh, <laughs> it's also expensive, by the way. Yeah, it's very out, expensive. You're going out all the time, and you're paying for, for stuff. But it, there's a real value to it. Yeah. Um, what other advice would I give? I think, I think there's also there are a couple other things I'd say. One is not to take yourself too seriously. I think a lot of people, when they do put these products and businesses together, they have a tendency to talk about it like it's revolutionary and something like it, when I think there should be an acknowledgement that there's a lot like it and maybe there are similar ideas come up before, but, mm. but there's something else that makes it unique. Yeah. Right? Cause that's what investors are going to think. Yeah. Um, and then I think there, another word of advice is, um, is around, you know, the written word and language, making sure you're talking about your, your business in the right way. Um, 
and and being creative about it. You know, what I what I find a lot of people they'll say things like, it's a combination of open, you know, if open table met, you know, yeah. Airbnb or something like that. Yeah. And I think that's a lazy way to describe your product. But if mm. you say it's a you know, a smart pet food nutrition company using AI and blah blah blah. Like it's just much more precise. Yeah. So that's a lot of advice I would give. That's a lot of advice. That's more than one piece, but I think, <laughs> yeah. I think we'll take that. Yeah. All right. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, yeah. Where can people find you if they want to contact you? Uh, well, my name is Alain, A-L-A-I-N, and uh, people can email me at Alain at SylvainLabs.com, and that's S-Y-L-V-A-I-N-L-A-B-S.com. Awesome. Thank yeah. you so much. Yeah, thank you. Just want to say another huge thank you to Aline uh, for coming on the show and dropping some some serious knowledge there. I've personally struggled with branding on a few of my projects before, so having Aline really go through the steps of what it takes to create a brand was extremely beneficial for myself, and I hope it was for you guys too. I thought Aileen was absolutely right when he said startups need to stop taking themselves so seriously and actually acknowledging that there are competitors out there, but you need to tell why you are different is again something i absolutely 100 percent agree with so i hope you guys got a lot of value out of that i certainly did as always guys thank you so much for listening and if you haven't already please subscribe and leave us a review on the apple podcasting app they honestly do go a long way okay until next time guys keep grinding